Come on, somebody. Are you happy to be in the house of the Lord this morning? I know we got a, a lot of guests that are here uh, this morning. Um, if, if this is your first time here, my name is Elijah. I have the privilege uh, to be in one of the pastors here, and, and I am excited uh, to, to, to know that we get to be here as family, as one in Christ. That, that it doesn't matter if you're from, uh, you know, California or New York or Florida or anywhere in between. What, what unites us is the blood of the cross. And so, so today, I'm excited for us to, to continue diving in, uh, to diving in into our series entitled Family Matters. Family Matters in week two. And I want to title this, this sermon, uh, Broken Vessels. Today, as you can see, we have the table here prepared for you as we start off our family meal going out uh, to, to, to finish off with the picnic with the Lord's table. This is the place where uh, everyone is invited, no matter how broken the pieces are in your life. You're invited here at the table together. We're, we're going to be in Luke chapter 15, verses 11 through 32. Just remain standing with me. I, I know there's going to be a second you've been standing up, and, but, but just remain standing with me because I just want to read this word over your life. And then we're going to jump in. And then I'm going to ask you to pray for me as I pray for you. Luke chapter 15, verses 11 through 32 says this. To illustrate the point further, Jesus told him this story. A man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I, I want my share of your estate now before you die. So his father agreed and divided his wealth between his sons. A, a few days later, his younger son packed all his belongings and moved to a, a distant land, and there he wasted all of his money in wild living. About this time, his money ran out and a great famine swept over the land and he began to starve. He persuaded the local farmer to hire him and, and, man, and the man sent him into the fields to feed the pigs. The young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him, but no one gave him anything. When he finally came to his senses, he said to himself at, at home, he, even the hired servants have food enough to spare. And here I am dying of hunger. I will go home to my father and say, Father, I have sinned against you, both heaven, sinned against both you and heaven. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Please take me on as your hired servant. So he turned home to his father. And while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming, filled with love and compassion. He ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. His son said to him, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But his father said to his servants, Quick, bring the finest robe in the house. Put it on him. Give him the ring from his finger and the sandals for his feet. Kill the calf. We have been fattening. We must celebrate this feast for this son of mine, which was dead, is now returned to life. He was lost, but now he is found. So the party began. Meanwhile, the older son was in the fields working. When he returned home, he heard the music and dancing in the house, and he asked one of his servants, What is going on? Your brother's back, he was told. Your father has killed the fat calf. We are celebrating because of his safe return. The older brother was angry and wouldn't go in, and his father came out and begged him. But he replied, all these years, I have slaved for you, and you never once refused to do a single thing, uh, a, sing a single thing for me. Yet, when the son of yours comes back, after squandering your money on prostitutes, you celebrate by killing the fatted calf? Listen to this. His father said to him, look, dear son, you have always stayed by me, and everything I have is yours. We had to celebrate this happy day. For your brother was dead, has come back to life. He was lost, but now he's found. Let's pray. Father God, I, I pray in these moments that we have uh, together um, that you would speak. I pray that each and every person here would know 
that they're invited, Lord God, to the table. No matter how many broken pieces may lie in their heart. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Take your seats. It's a little bit of a different set today. Honestly, I'm a little nervous. I, I usually don't get too nervous when I preach. I think I'm nervous because of the topic that we're going to talk about. You know, most of the time when it's like a 4th of July service, you kind of throw a softball out there, you know, and, you know, you're just like, hey, let's wrap it up. Let's go do something. And, and so I'm going to dive in a little deep, just, just a warning for you. And then I, I've never really preached like this in, uh, with, with all this stuff, but I, I really felt impressed in my heart. Uh, that as we, as we are leaning into this Family Matters series, that sometimes we, we also, right, we just think about our immediate family. And I think God is calling us to engage with the family of God, that that, that family matters as well, and it is actually uh, not disconnected, but, but quite uh, important as believers because we enter into a new covenant with Jesus. And, and and the thing about family, every once in a while, uh, family comes in and out in your lives and they sometimes leave. And, and so there's this really weird thing that happens in, in the church world where you have these uh, exit conversations as a pastor with people uh, which were once in your church. These things are weird. I'm not going to lie to you, right? Because it's like, you know, you don't want to have these conversations. You've been doing life with people for a, for a, for a little while. You've seen people's uh, families grown. You, you, you've, you've married some people. You've baptized them. And all of a sudden, they decide, like, hey, man, we're leaving. Some, some for good reasons, some for, for not so good reasons. And, and honestly, as a pastor, I'm just going to be honest with you and, and vulnerably, like, it hurts, right? Because you love people. Well, well, since I'm being honest, let, let me be honest, sometimes it doesn't hurt. <laughs> sometimes you're like, you need to go. You, know, you, you don't say that, though. You sit there. Are you leaving? And you just count down the clock. When are you leaving? We don't even have to have this conversation. No. <laughs> right? Like, like you have those things because you're, 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 you're working with people and you're loving on people. I, I had a conversation not too long ago with a, a couple, which I love, which is no longer here. And um, I love them to life. They're an amazing, amazing couple. But they came to me, and they, they told me, hey, Pastor, we, we love this church. We love how diverse this church is. We love the heart of the staff. We love the people here. We feel like they, they love us well. But here's the thing. We grew up in a congregation that wasn't as uh, boisterous <laughs> as Overflow Church. They didn't really say amen, and so it, can, it makes us uncomfortable. It makes us feel like, you know, uh, when, when people say amen and talk back to the pastor that they don't really care about the word of God. Or, and so, like, you know, we feel like uh, it's time for us uh, to move on. And I was, I was saddened by that. So we're, we're having the conversation, and they're, they're showing their love and appreciation, uh, and I'm showing them my love and appreciation. But there was two things in the conversation which I really wanted them to understand. First of all, what makes Overflow Church such a, a beautiful uh, church, such a, such a beautiful experience, is that we are a diverse group of people, that, that we come from, from different backgrounds, we come from different spaces, different traditions, but we get to, to be in this space together, to worship God together. That's, that's what makes this place so beautiful. And we know this. You guys have heard us say from the stage over and over and over again that, right, like statistically, this is an anomaly. Like most places are segregated. Most places are homogeneously either white, black, Hispanic, Asian. Like, but we get all of it here. It's like this beautiful picture of, of the kingdom of God. And, and, and the second thing that I, I wanted them to, 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 to take away from our conversation was that th this is what Overflow Church looks like, little C, but the big C, big church, what is beautiful about when we come uh, and we fellowship together uh, is that uh, we have to give up some things, right? Like, to be able to do this, we actually have to give up some stuff. Because what we recognize is that the Spirit is actually at work when we come to the table, right? 
with all of our stuff, and he's doing some transforming things that he's changing hearts, that he's, he's working. And so I can come with all my stuff, right? He invites us to come as I am, but he demands that we don't stay that way. That we actually have to, to leave some stuff behind as we, we come to this table from, from all of our different perspectives, all of our different things, because there's something better at the table. This is, this is the beauty, I, I believe, of, of what uh, is actually in this parable. I think Jesus is actually uh, communicating to these uh, Pharisees and legal leaders. One thing before we jump in, uh, because I think sometimes the Pharisees get a bad rap, right? Like the Pharisees get a bad rap because, man, we, we kind of say, like, they're the bad guys. They hated Jesus. But, but here's the thing. The Pharisees uh, loved the law, and they wanted to stick to law because guess what? They were tired of being exiled. They were tired of people breaking the law. They were tired of being distanced from God. So for them, right, anybody who was doing anything wrong were people which were keeping them from God. That, that was their heart. They were just looking at it the wrong way. In this story, uh, Jesus engages with these people, and they're frustrated, right? The legal, the, uh, the legal minds of the day for, uh, for the law, and, and the Pharisees, they're frustrated, right? Jesus is having this weird message about the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven is here. And at this kingdom of heaven a thing, he's with sinners. Like, what, what are you doing, Jesus? These guys are keeping us from the kingdom of heaven. And the only real picture that we have of the kingdom of heaven in their minds, that what they're thinking is at the temple where, where heaven and earth meet, right? Where we get to be in the presence of God. But yet he's saying where, where we can sit at a table like this with people which shouldn't even be here. These sinners and tax collectors, and tax collectors were the worst. These tax collectors were the worst. They, they were the kind of people which would uh, tax for Rome. You, you know Rome. Rome is, is, is the picture in Revelation that, that is uh, uh, defined as Babylon. It is the apex of evil and sin. And these people, which are supposed to be uh, family, these tax collectors, they're Jewish. They're going to other Jews, and they're taxing them, and some of them taxing them over the amount that they're supposed to be and pocketing it. And we've seen family members, we've seen friends be crucified. Jesus is sitting down with them. He said, the kingdom of God is here. And then there's sinners. Sinners. What does that even mean? One commentary defines uh, the sinners here as people which were illiterate, that they were not uh, schooled in, 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 in the ability to be able to even read. And so because they could not read or they were too poor, they were not uh, good enough to even follow the law. Yeah, those people, those people Jesus is bringing to the table and he's saying the kingdom of God is here and he's saying that this is what heaven looks like. How dare you, Jesus? Not at this table. This table is for a certain type of, of people. It's for a certain type of Christians. It's, it's for the ones who, who do it right. This is, this is what Jesus sees as he is having this conversation. And in Jesus' fashion, I love it. In Jesus' fashion, guess what Jesus does? He tells a story. <laughs> right? Like you, you think you'd be dressed. Hey, he's like, hey, listen, you hypocrites. No, no. Jesus said, like, hey, um... It was a lost coin, a lost sheep, and a prodigal son. I'm like, what? If I was Jesus' disciple, I'd be like, Jesus, man, you are so cool, but sometimes I don't understand. You know? He, he tells a story. And I really wish I, really wish I could get, have the time to really unpack these elements here in the story. But this is the one thing I want you to kind of take away here. Jesus uses the, uh, the rule of three. This is for, for the rule of three for some of you writers. You get what I'm talking about. He uses the rule of three to kind of get to this theme here. And the theme that Jesus is trying to communicate is that there is a carelessness in all three stories that ends up bringing about loss. Yes, even in the prodigal son, there is a carelessness that ends up bringing about loss. And so uh, if you, as you unpack this and you extract this from the, the text, then if we know that to be true, the question comes for us here in this church. Are you mindful of those who are around you? Or are you careless? 
Are you careless with your words? Are you careless with your actions? Are you careless about the way that you love people? Are you, are you careless? Are you careless in thinking and believing and having a moral high ground when you go into conversations? Are you, are you careless in giving into demands instead of having hard conversations with people for the sake of love? Huh? Are you careless in the way that you see your neighbor? Are you careless in the way that you see your friend? Because this is what happens when we are careless. We end up losing relationships. We end up losing family. We end up losing friends. And so as we step into this text, and we see that there is this theme that is being communicated, I, I believe that there are three seats that, that are always occupy the table of grace. And, and the prodigal son here occupies this first seat. Right. He, he occupies this first seat. Something has taken place here. He is angry. He is upset. The, 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 the parable doesn't tell us why. It just jumps us into this point in the story of, of, of him saying, Dad, give me what is mine now. What's happened? What's happened in this conversation with the father? Right? Oftentimes, and, and listen, I, I know... Uh, that often when you read the story, you're like, oh, the story's about God the Father. The Father is being represented. I would argue that for the first century hearers, they would not have heard this parable like that. They would not have assumed that the Father is the heavenly Father in heaven. Right? We, we imply those things as Western hearers looking back into the text, thinking about all the scripture that we know. But, but actually... They're looking at it as, they would actually look at the father as a father who is careless. Why is this taking place? Right? Most scholars believe that the father has actually have been, has, has put himself in a really, really weird position in this parable. His son is angry. He, he's angry, and, and he says words that he cannot take back. Give me my inheritance. Give me my inheritance. This would have been a double slap in the face of the father. The, the first reason why it's a, a slap in the face of the father is, is because what he's basically saying is that I wish you were dead so that I can have what is mine now. I wish you were dead so that I can have what is mine now. What's happened in this relationship? The, the second slap in the face comes because, uh, guess what? <laughs> uh, for him to be able to give him his inheritance, he's going to have to sell off land that he probably uh, received uh, through uh, inheritance from his father that has been in the family for generations. Or, or maybe he's worked really, really hard so that he can have an inheritance to give to his children. And now he has to go to a stranger and break off half of his land and sell it and be reminded every day as he looks across the street to what used to be his, that there's something broken in his family. He has to be reminded every day that my son is gone and he wanted to wish death upon me. Something has happened here in this relationship. And the father says, okay, son, I'll do that. And, and the Bible says he splits the land and, and he gives it to the son. What is taking place here? What is taking place here? Was it uh, a conversation? Was, was it a conversation that was, that was, that was uh, done uh, unknowingly that, that hurt the son? What's, what's taking place here? Are we mindful of the things that we're saying or how we might be hurting people unknowingly? 
Are you so caught up in your own thing, in your own politics, in your own opinions, in your own tribal wars, in your way of being right, that you miss the, 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 the people who are right here in this chair right next to you who are crying out for help? What's taking place here? In a, in a world that is already broken with sin, with people who are, uh, make sinful decisions. Sometimes, sometimes you haven't done anything, but uh, the sin that you have committed is that you didn't take notice that there was a drift that was occurring. I can just imagine the father, I'm a, a father. I can just imagine a father hurting to say, what happened? We heard Dan Seaborn last week. He was, he was basically saying this, right, about his daughter replaying over and over and over again in his mind, what took place? What could I have done better? I can only imagine as this, as this comes too close, are we careless with the people that God has given around us? I think we see from this part of the text. And we, we know the story, don't we? The, the son goes and he starts living wildly and he starts spending his money and I'm sure along the journey, he accumulates friends, and, and it seems like everything is, is going well, right? And he's, he's making more friends, and he's, and he's doing some things. But before long, a famine comes along, and he loses all of his wealth, and all of his friends, and all of the hangers-on are, are gone. And now he finds himself hungry in this distant land by himself. He's alienated his family, and, and he's found himself working for someone, feeding pigs. And, and you have to pick up here because, again, this, in a Western context, that just kind of flies along. But he is Jewish. To be found around the pigs is, is Jesus show, showing how low of a situation that the prodigal son is in. Not only is he found feeding pigs, but the Bible says he looks at the pods that the pigs are eating and he wants to eat them as well. How desperate of a situation this person is in this place. And then he comes up with an idea. He, he says, man, you know what? In my dad's house, in my dad's house, the servants don't even eat like this. I don't want to, I don't, I don't think I, I deserve a seat at the table anymore. I, I really don't think I deserve a seat at the table. But, but I, I, I know something that in my father's house, the servants get to at least serve the table. So, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to, I'm going to go to my dad's house. And, and, and I'm going to beg him. I'm going to crawl in. And he might beat me. He might call me names. But, but, but he's still my dad. And I know the kind of uh, man that he is. And, and, and so I think that he will... He will still love me, so I'm going to crawl on my hands and knees, and I'm going to get to my dad, and I'm going to say, Dad, I'm so sorry. I messed up. Won't you please? And I can see him as he's walking. Can you picture it in your mind as he's walking back home, and he's having, replaying those conversations? I don't know about you, but, but there was times in my life where I messed up with my dad. You know my dad. You guys saw him, big 6'2", a 250-pound African man. I'll replay some conversation. Okay, so when I get to my dad's home, okay, I'm just... All right, Dad, I'm sorry that I was late, you know. You, 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 come on, don't, y'all don't act holy now. You, you know you've had those conversations in your mind. Replayed how the conversation, and he's just thinking, if, okay, so, so when I get to my dad's house, this is, this is the way that I approach him. And I say, Dad, listen, listen, just, just let me be a servant. I know I forfeited being a son. Let me be a servant. And the, the scriptures tell us that Jesus, no, I'm sorry, the Father is waiting at a distance, and he's looking. And he's waiting. And as he sees his son, he hikes up his, his coat. And he runs. He runs to the son. He runs to the son who's sitting in this chair. And the son says, Dad, I've messed up. You, you, you can hear it in the father's voice. Son, no, 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 no. No, no, no. Don't, don't worry about it. I, I don't care how bad the situation is. I don't care what you've done. I love you. I, I, I love you. So, somebody, somebody go get my son a coat. What? Boy, you ain't got no shoes. Somebody go, go to the Nike store and get him the best Jordans. Somebody call Michael Sh uh, Scheinman because he's gonna, we're going to be barbecuing some, some ribs and some brisket. Because my son, which was gone has returned. He was dead, and now he's alive. Son, you, you get to pull up to the table. 
You, you get to, to pull up to the table. What a, what a beautiful picture. At the table is the prodigal son, the one which has messed up, which hasn't done things right, but is in the process of repentance. There's another seat at this table that God prepares of grace is uh, the table where the eldest son sits. This, this seat right here is a little bit different because this son has been here. He's, he's been trying to, to, to live a life according to the rules. The, the eldest son has, has, has been doing what he was supposed to do, following God well. And then he comes in from the fields and he hears uh, a party going on in the field. And then he asks, what's, what's going on? Something happening at, at, at our house? <laughs> and, and, and he just listens. listens. The, 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 the servants say, oh, no, your brother who was gone has now come back. How, how weird must that be? How weird must that be, right? Are you serious? There's a party going on for my brother? That, that dude? He literally insulted my dad. He literally insulted our family. There's nuance here in the story. Again, if we're listening to it, if we're reading it with Western ears and we're processing it with Western eyes, we're going to miss what's happening here in the text. First and foremost, his dad was more than generous to the younger brother. Do you know that according to a Jewish custom set by King David himself in Deuteronomy chapter 21, verse 17, right? Uh, he, as the oldest, was supposed to receive a double portion as far as inheritance-wise. At the very least, he should have gotten two-thirds of the land. And he got half. The father is more than generous to the younger son. Don't you think that must have hurt the father? See, hearers of this, this parable would have understood that. How does the a son, which, which is disrespectful to the, to, the, to the father, get that? But here's the thing. In the first century, right, allocation of land or property was subject to the dad. Even though that was a steadfast traditional rule in the first century, uh, the father could still make the choice. But here's another thing. As I was reading the story, as I was kind of understanding, okay, this is the way that it works. Here's, here's the weird thing right? The, the, the younger son has gotten his reward, right? He's gotten his inheritance. What's left is the older son's inheritance. How are we paying for this party, y'all? You, you're telling me that, that, that not only is my foolish brother back here, I got to pay for it for my, my, man, dad? Yes, why is, why is he at the table? Why is he at the table? He does not belong to be here. He does not belong here. He is broken goods, Dad. He is damaged. Why is he at the table? And the servant said, you got to come in. Your brother's back. Don't you want to see him? I'm not coming in. And he's making such a large commotion that the father hears it and he has to come out. And can you imagine? There's friends and family here. We're celebrating. And now his, his son is here and he's angry and he should be angry because someone who has disrespected the family, someone who hasn't done right, someone who was foolish now comes back. And he gets to sit at the same place. This is just like that. He always sides for the younger. He always sides for the foolish. And once again, right, we're going to, he already got more land than he was supposed to do. He already gets, right, the benefit of the doubt. And once again, he sits at the table. What was why, why is he here? And you can hear it, you can hear it in his voice when you read the parable. Dad, he's, he's angry. He's upset. He's frustrated. Why is he here, Dad? Why is he here? He shouldn't be here. He doesn't deserve to be here. Why is he here? You can, you can hear it. You can hear it as tears are coming down. Dad, why is he here? Amy Gillivine, New Testament scholar, says this. 
that the father does not initially realize that he is in jeopardy of also losing his oldest son. It's not just the younger son who's lost. The older son is lost as, as well. He like the Pharisees, the older son like the Pharisees and the legal leaders who loved God, who did what was right. But there were two in their own way to see that God was at work doing the very thing that they had hoped for. Doing the very thing that, that the kingdom of God was promised to them to restore, that they were bitter and they were hurt to see it. And if we had to be honest, the reason why he was upset, the reason why he was upset, because he wasn't having the celebration for himself. That the father did not have a celebration for all his good deeds. The reason why the legal leaders and, and, and the Pharisees were upset is because they had done right. And if Jesus was a prophet from God, why wasn't he celebrating them? They were the ones which had kept the law. Why is he at this chair? Why is he at the chair? And, and I think that in the church we have people like this, right? We know of the people who come in with their sin stuff, with their broken stuff. But I think at the church we have people like this which are like, why are they here? They have a different lifestyle than we do. Uh-oh. They, they, they talk about things that are different. They don't vote the way that I vote. Why are they here? Why are they sitting at this table? They're not good enough. They're sinners. Why are they sitting at, at this table? Issue that that they care for different things. The way that they live their life seems like they care for different things than what the Bible communicates. When you sit at this care, uh, you, you know those people. You might be those people. Can I be honest? I have been those people who judge the people who sit at that table, who judge the people that sit at that chair. N.T. Wright tells, us, tells a story in his commentary about a friend of his who, who wrote a, a poem for a classroom assignment. He said, it's stuck in my mind. It's about a, a garbage man <clears throat> who uh, works in a park. And now you got to think about this park. This park is beautiful. The picture is painted, uh, pristine flowers, a beautiful grass, well manicured, trees, leaves that... Uh, uh, just so gently caress the sun, you know, as it comes into the park. And this, and this garbage, garbage man has no eyes for what's going on. All, all he can see is the trash that he has to pick up. And there's this line that he says in, in, in his story, he says, the line that sticks out to me, it says that he destroys the nature in this park. Litter, without lifting his head, he could only see the bad and was blind to the beauty. Wright goes on to say, Jesus' response to the religious leaders is that they were so focused on the wickedness of the tax collectors and the sinners and of Jesus himself daring to eat with them that they couldn't see the sunlight sparkling through the fresh spring leaves of God's love. Here were all these people being changed, being healed, and having their lives transformed physically, emotionally, morally, and spiritually. The grumblers could only see litter, the human garbage they normally despised and avoided. What is happening at this chair? That we don't even understand the very thing that we desire the very thing that we want God to do when we call people into the house of God to sit and eat at this table, that we, we, we literally chase away as it is happening because they're not where we are supposed to be. I had one mentor of mine, pastor mentor, he says, why is it that church folks want to uh, clean a fish before they catch it? What is happening at this table? Why, why are they here? Why are they at the table? Why? 
This chair continues to ask. Listen, this is verse 31. I want you to watch this. Hear these words. His father said to him, look, dear son, you have always stayed by me and everything I have is yours. We had to celebrate this happy day for your brother was dead and has come back to life. He was lost, but now is found. Jesus says, he belongs at the table, son. Just like you belong at the table. He belongs at the table because something is needed to be celebrated. They're given that something in order to participate with what God is doing here. In this parable, when I read it, when I think of this parable, again, like I, I said a little bit earlier, I, I believe I said it to our uh, Monday morning service, is that I've actually changed my perspective. Again, who sits in this middle seat, right? Who who sits in this middle seat? I did a a year-long deep dive. uh, I'm in seminary with with, um, my my school uh, doing my master's, and uh, I did a a deep dive into this this parable. And and what is interesting here is is that... uh, I believe what Jesus is communicating is that we are the ones who sit in the seat where the Father is supposed to sit. Us here, the church, you and me. I changed my my perspective on this. I changed my perspective. See, uh, Levine says that in these two stories, basically, two of them end in celebration. One of them ends with the, the Father uh, consoling uh, the son, the older son in the fields. It doesn't end with a celebration. You see, in, in this story, the, the father has two sons, two which are lost. And he, and he does the work of reconciling the first son to the table and the second son to the table. He has to work at living in the tension of uh, the two. He doesn't, he doesn't say that this person gets priority and this person, and that's actually our job as believers to sit in this space as represents, representatives of Christ, to be witness and to say, it's not just you who has sinned that we just don't over. And there, you know churches like this who do everything under the sun to just dote and love on the younger son, but they forget that there's an older son who is lost and hurting too. And so, so we preach really vanilla messages that, that, that don't even go past the deep waters. And, and we say, hey, let's do a sermon series on how we can get through the best Mondays. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm mad. I'm angry. That's, I, let me stop. Let me stop. Bad Elijah. But, but we do these sermons that don't even touch the Bible. And we, and we think it's okay because like people are coming to know Jesus. And yes, we want them to go know Jesus, but we also want them to be deeper. We actually want them to have a relationship that takes God seriously like the older son. But when we do not take care and we do not love those people which are hurting, which don't understand why, then there's a brokenness, there's a split. And actually, God is calling us to sit here in the tension of the in-between to bring them to the table. Church, I want you to hear me. There's a lot of people that are hurting in this world. There's a lot of people that are hurting. I'm going to do one thing, which I'll probably never do again. I'm going to ask you not to clap, because I may say some things that, that you'll like, something that somebody else doesn't like, or is struggling through. This is probably the only time you ever hear me say this. Don't say amen. I just want you to lean in for a second and listen to me. There are a lot of people that are hurting, and we have gone through the last two years some really, really heavy things. And the problem that I see, the problem that I see is that that we have dragged that mess into the church. We have dragged the mess into the church, and what has happened is that we have been divided. We've been divided by politics, by, by this stuff which sits on the periphery that has nothing to do with the table of God. We've been divided, and we've let the, these cultural markers that stand out in the world 
be the thing that divides the church. Just a couple of, uh, a little bit past a week, Roe versus Wade was overturned by the Supreme Court. Let me communicate this before I go any further. I want to let you know where your pastor stands. I want to let you know where the church stands. As a church, as a pastor, we support and love fully the, the voices of the vulnerable and the unborn. That's where we stand. This, this issue is, is so deeply serious to me. My, my wife, my wife, Janie Shemenda, she, um, her, her parents, her lovely, amazing, my, my in-laws' parents had Janie when, when uh, they were 45, or 45 years old. Because of that, what they found was there was some genetic uh, issues that said that Janie, if born, uh, may not live to a rightful age. She may have genetic issues that would not cause her to have a full and, and fruitful life that she may be, at the, at the very least, uh, someone uh, who is going to struggle heavily with, with mental disorders. And so they, they told uh, my in-laws that they, they should abort Janie. My in-laws are beautiful people. They're salt-of-the-earth people. They're farmers. Um, they come from a line of farmers uh, in, in, in a rural place called Cohocton, New York. And, um, and they said that it, it doesn't matter. We choose to lean in. We choose to love our whatever God gives us. In fact, when Janie was born, they, they took her to like a, a medical school hospital and there were doctors literally in the room which were waiting to see what, what was going to happen. This was a new case uh, or, or a different kind of thing at this point. And, um, and Janie came out healthy. I got, the, I got the love of my life. The mother to my, my two amazing children. In December, I got permission to say this, I promise. And she's going to be 37 years old. <laughs> that is beautiful. And I'm so thankful for that. I'm so thankful for that. But here's the thing, guys. As a pastor, I have the privilege of talking to you guys, to people in our church through the years, and... and Janie's story is not everyone's story. Janie's story is not everyone's story. And in a church our size, here's the thing. There are people who have had to make the hardest choice of their life. That sit in fellowship with you every day. And they think about it and they mourn it. And they're trying to figure this out in the context of family. At the family table, they're trying to figure it out. And what hurts me, what hurts me is when I hear people who in talking say hurtful things. Tweet hurtful things. Facebook hurtful things about your own family members and you sit in this chair and you look at the people in this chair and you say, why are they here? <coughs> and all they want to do is just come to the table. All they want to do is just come to the table of grace and figure it out like we all do. As we're all trying to figure out our lust issues, our gluttony, our, 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 our anger, our pain, as we sit at this table, 
We're all just trying to figure it out. We all got stuff. We're all broken vessels. Trying to be mended at the table of Jesus. And we talk about these things. We talk about them in such a flippant manner. But it's real people going through real things. Which you call brother and sister. And maybe the reason why they can't talk to you is because the way that we talk about it. Thank you. The problem lies is when we, uh, we occupy the elder brother's seat and we ask the question to the younger brother, why are you here? A professor at Nazarene University, Douglas Van West, wrote something on Twitter uh, this week that I, has just been pining in my mind. This is what he says. If the world knows my opinion, but it cannot see the love and mercy of Jesus in me, I gain nothing. If I win the argument, but have obscured the beauty of Christ, I win nothing. If I do not reveal Jesus, the friend of sinners who welcomes all to the table, I have lost my way. God calls us to this table God desires that we come to this table, and in Jesus' up, upside-down kingdom, he flattens the, the ground at the foot of the cross that we are all called to come. We are all called to the cross. And we all have to give up something for the better thing that's Jesus. We're all called to the foot of the cross. We have to stand in the place, the middle seat, looking for, waiting for, and eventually celebrating the one who was lost. At the same time, we have to be able to sit outside of the party and reconcile with the older brother who's trying to figure out how? We have to occupy this seat. In, in, uh, there's a Japanese art form. When pastors heard about this, literally every ex illustration in like, the world was like, around this thing. It's called kintsugi. And it's about, this, it's about the art form of basically um, mending broken vessels. And what they use is they use lacquer and gold dust or some, some type of dust to, to patch up the broken pieces, and they, they put it back together. And what you see is, is a broken vase now with gold or silver lines coming down. It's actually more beautiful in this broken face. It's stronger than what it originally was. Pete Scazzaro says of this, uh, this, this, this uh, kintsugi, says the Japanese art form of kintsugi calls for seeing beauty in the flawed, the damaged, the imperfect, the broken fault lines are now lined with precious gold veins, making them stronger and more valuable. God does this with us. We have each have cracked Shattered places, yet we carefully, he carefully puts us back together in the ways more spectacular and beautiful than before. I, I honestly think that God is mends us at the table in these broken places, in these broken spots in our hearts, and he invites us all. And I don't know what your story is this morning. And I get that you might have came and think you're like, hey, man, this is just a, a pre-4th of July service, but I have been praying for you. I have been praying over you. And I want to let you know that God wants to fix you, and he did fix you when he died on the cross, and his body was broken, and his blood was, was spilled, and he fixed the cracks in your life. And he invites you to the table. He says, pull up a chair. And it doesn't matter what chair you occupy. He says, pull up a chair. I'm here with you. 
We're going to take time to go into communion. I, I, I apologize. I know this sermon went a little bit long. But know this. Know my heart. I, I believe that we are at a vital moment in human history, especially here in the United States. And the church going forward will be marked by the way that we handle these cultural issues. Will, will we take up the seat just of the younger son? Will we take up the seat of, of the older son? Or will we do the difficult thing and stand in the middle and say, culture does not dictate how we respond. Jesus dictates how we respond. And so whatever broken place that you're in, whatever broken place that you're in, we all come shattered. God says, I was broken place first. And he takes the bread and the cup and he breaks it. And he says, this is my body, which was broken for you. Every time you take it, do this in remembrance of me. And then he takes the cup. And he says, this is my blood spilled out for me. This is what I fix you up with. And he drinks it. And he says, this is my body, um, this is my blood which was poured out for you. And he gives it to his disciples to drink. And, and I think this is the party that the, they're having around this table, honestly, because what, what's really interesting to me is that they, Jesus loved to party. And, and he showed them what heaven looks like. And you know why those sinners were there, why they felt comfortable being there? It's because they had found the kingdom of God. Matthew chapter uh, 13 verse 44 says this, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure that a man was walking one day, accidentally found in a field. What he did was he ran home and he gathered, he, I'm sorry, he, he buried that treasure. Then he ran home and he gathered everything that he had and he sold it and went and bought that land. Guys, God invites us to the table. God invites us to eat here, but we have to give up something to get here. We have to give up our comfortability. We got to give up some of these things and say, God, you are transforming me and I might have gotten here. You're calling me as I am to this place, but you're not calling me to stay here. We're going to sing the song, Broken Vessels. And this is what I'm going to ask you to do as we're singing. I want you to remain seated and I want you to meditate on what, God, what is God calling you to do in your life? What seat do you occupy? How can we move from these seats to the middle seat so that we can be a bridge for people. And then as you feel the Spirit of God calling, just go up and grab communion. And you just take it right there as you are. <laughs>